The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight to the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they become to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above, and in earth beneath. Now therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father, and my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way." And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. And she said, According to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, 
And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came under the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Well, I'm going to do something uh, today that we don't do every Sunday. Um, I'm going to preach to you a salvation message, gospel message. Uh, We think that there are times that we need to do that. I mean, we're always talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and every time that we get into the pulpit, we we have to be reminded of that. But we're going to speak specifically on that issue today. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and open them to Joshua chapter 2. Very happy to be in church on Mother's Day. We love to think about mothers and honor mothers. Uh, We are to honor our fathers and mothers, as Scripture says, But we ought not to forget that the primary purpose of why we're here today is to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, that's what I want to do with the message. We want to honor Christ by looking at this Old Testament text where we find a very unexpected salvation, just a very unusual one that pictures the sufficiency of God's grace to save even the worst that is among us. And I don't think that we should really have a hard time Uh, seeing this, if we see ourselves as God sees us, because there is none of us that's too good that we don't need to turn to God and ask Him for salvation. And so I don't want to disappoint you this morning because the sermon is not particularly about mothers, although I do want to talk about a very interesting woman that we have here in the Scriptures. I remember a few years ago there there was a lady in our church that complained and She complained to me, and she complained that the Bible does not have very many stories about women and about the faith of women. I don't know what I could do about that, but she complained about it because uh, the Bible doesn't. She said, the Bible is a man's book. There are just too many stories that are about men. And I confess that if I look through the Bible, I'll have a hard time uh, trying to pick out enough stories that we could even it out to where we'd have 50-50 stories about men and women divided between men and uh, males and females. But I think if we're thinking those kinds of things, we're actually missing the point. The Bible is not about the faith of men and women. The Bible is about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of both men and women. Now, the Scripture says that in Christ there are no divisions, there are no Jews, there are no Greeks, there are no rich and poor, there are no men and women. There are just people. There are people that need to know the Lord, all kinds of people that need to know Jesus Christ. Well, this is a great passage about how we can be saved. It's not about motherhood, but I can assure you what happened here is what every mother wants, and that is for their children to know about Jesus Christ. A mother wants the peace of knowing that her children are going to be in heaven. Now, since we've read the entire chapter of Joshua just a few minutes ago, we'll not read that again. But we are going to look at some of the verses that are in this uh, chapter in the story of Rahab. This is a woman that needed rehabilitation. She was a sinner. She needed to be changed uh, from a very terribly wicked life to no salvation in God. Now, this is what what happened to her. And, And I sincerely do hope 
that everything that I'm going to talk about today has already happened to you. And we're going to talk about salvation. I don't know if there's anybody here that's not saved today. I don't know. But I hope it's happened to you, and, and, and I hope it, it, maybe it's just a reminder of what God has done for you. Now, let's, let's begin by noticing what the problem was with Rahab. Number one, when we talk about salvation, is that we have to realize the problem. Joshua 2, verse number 1 says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. In 2008, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Israel. Uh, we, we took a tour there for a little over two weeks, two and a half weeks or so, and our tour guide was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary who is a very interesting man, a very capable teacher. And he made a suggestion before we left on our trip that what we should do is we should read the Old Testament book of Joshua, to read First and Second Samuel, to read the Kings, also to read the Gospels. And that's a pretty ambitious undertaking to read all of that, but that's not something that we haven't done before. But the purpose of giving us that reading assignment was that it would acquaint us with the place names, the geography of Israel, and, and maybe that's not something that we pay so much close attention to as we're reading through the Bible. Uh, we see the places and we see the names that are here, but probably most of you couldn't find any of them on a map if it was just handed to you because we just don't pay a lot of attention to those things. So that was a very good suggestion for us, to, to know the geography, because it helped us to recognize where the events of Scripture took place. And it becomes much more meaningful when you visit all these different places, when you know the background, you know what happened there. You know, I remember what it was like to be in the Valley of Elah, where uh, David fought with Goliath. And as you walk into that valley, you look at the... Uh, hillsides of the mountains on either side of that valley. And you can just vision that. You just get a picture in your mind of the, the Israelites up there on that mountain and David descending down in the valley and the battle that took place between David and Goliath. Well, we visited many of those kinds of places. We visited Beersheba where Abraham once lived. We visited Megiddo. We visited Mount Carmel. We visited Caesarea and just many, many ruins of ancient cities up and down Israel. But especially interesting to me was to visualize these places that I'd read about in the book of Joshua. There were cities that Israel conquered. It's places where they drove the Canaanites out of that land and they destroyed many of those cities and took possession of many others. We saw Hatzor, that's in the north. That was the main city of that area. And then, of course, we visited Jericho, that's or towards the south and we saw where they dug down and uncovered the walls that had fallen down. And although I'd read Joshua many, many times, I'm pro I was probably a, a, just a whole lot like you, that sometimes we really can't get it into our minds why that God was so harsh on the people that lived in Canaan. Why was God so demanding about this? Why did God insist that Israel should completely destroy everyone with there, all of the people? I mean, he often told them, what you have to do, you've got to go in there and you must destroy every man, woman, and child. All of them must be killed. Why didn't God say to Israel, what you can do is you can just move in with them, make yourself comfortable there, uh, just settle down, be at peace with the people that are in Canaan, and, you know, what you really need to do is try to win them to the Lord. That's not what God said to do. 
total destruction of women and children is what God said. And that's really hard for us to take. It's hard for us to understand why God says, leave none of them. And so we try to reason that out, and it's tough for us, but, but we really do accept that. Well, we accept it because we're believers in God. We know that God is righteous in all things that He does. We do believe that God is always right. But we have to confess, uh, we don't really understand that very well. And I don't think that I got the full picture of why God said to do this until I visited those ancient cities. And what we saw in some of those places simply defies imagination. Archaeologists have uncovered things. Uh, in that Canaanite culture, it was so desperately wicked that it came to the place that God was completely fed up with him, them. And there comes a time when, when God stops all gracious influences. There's a time when God says that I'm not going to put up with this any longer. In the book of Romans, Paul describes that. He says that the wickedness of men can be some, become so great that what God does, he gives people over to a reprobate mind. Now, there's no way for us to explain that except to say that God comes to the place where he says, I'm not going to work with these people any longer, and so he lets people suffer the consequences of their rebellion. And you know the Bible said that's happened before. The Bible talks about Noah, of course. And in Noah's time, God saw the wickedness of the world, that it was just so great, that it was continually evil, that God says, they're not going to stop that evil, so it's come to the point, I'm not going to stand this any longer. And you know what God did. God sent the flood. And what did he do? He killed everybody. All men, women, and children. God destroyed them all in the flood. And you remember that when the flood was over, that God said he was never going to destroy the earth again with a worldwide flood. And he gave Noah this promise, a, a sign in the heavens, a, a rainbow, that reminded him of the covenant that God had made. I'm not going to destroy the world any longer or again with a worldwide flood. But we need not think, as we look at that rainbow, that God said it's never going to become wicked again. That there's no guarantee here that people are not going to become terribly wicked again and that God would not bring judgment on them again. And so we see also a story like Sodom and Gomorrah. That there was a city that was exceedingly wicked and God said the wickedness of this city is too great and so God destroyed them all. Now that's actually what we're looking at with the Canaanite culture. Hundreds of years before, God had promised this land to Abraham, and God watched and he waited, and he saw the wickedness of that country, of that land. He saw how that grew until the place that God would take it no longer. And this is why we see Joshua on the borders of Canaan, because God says, I'm not putting up with that any longer. I'm going to give this land to my people. This is the land that I promised them. And he told Joshua, go in there and destroy them all. Now really, if you, if you can accept Noah and the flood, if, if, if you believe that story and, and uh, that's true and God was right when he did that, you shouldn't have any trouble at all with the complete destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You shouldn't have any trouble with the destruction of the Canaanite culture because essentially here we have the very same cause. God says, I'm not putting up, putting up with that kind of wickedness any longer. And what God did was just give them over to a reprobate mind. Well, I never understood how great that wickedness was until I saw the ruins of those cities. There were things that were uncovered by archaeologists that I can't even mention to you in polite company. And it was in that culture that Rahab lived. 
And not only did she live there, but she was on the lowest end of that culture. Verse number one says that she was a harlot. That's not a word that we use very much today, but it simply means she was a prostitute. She sold her body to be used for sensual pleasures. And, you know, people say, well, prostitution, that's the oldest profession that's known to man. I don't know if that's true, but I do know this, that sin is a very old problem. Sin goes back a long, long way, and we've always had this trouble with sin. And what Rahab was involved in a very old sin, and according to the Bible, this is one of the most wicked sins that any person can ever be involved in. In Canaan, prostitution even became a part of their religion. This is a part of the worship of their heathen gods. It's part of the ritual of serving their gods. So Rahab was at the bottom of a society that's already completely bottomed out. So God was ready to destroy this, this culture. Rahab was among the lowest of low. And, and if we're prone to sit in judgment on people, and we're going to choose what the worst sins are, then I think we have to give Rahab her due. And we have to say that she was truly a woman that needed rehab in the very worst way. Now Rahab's story, though, is utterly remarkable because what we can't do is make sense in our own human reasoning, of the sudden change that took place. What, what makes Rahab different? Why should she change when all the rest of the people that were there knew the same things that she knew? They knew about what Jehovah God had done. Why, why did she want to change? I mean, she's like Noah in this sense that Rahab and her family are the only ones that make it out of the place alive. Why her? Why did she change? Well, we see this is a problem for Rahab. She's a wicked woman living in a wicked society, but then something happened to her. Something just totally changed her. One day there are two spies that show up at her door, and that's an opportunity to change her life. Now, still, the puzzling thing about this is what is it that made her want to change? I mean, her help for the spies turns out to be a complete repudiation of everything that she knew. It was turning her back on the society that she lived in. It meant turning her, her back or her, uh, uh, turning away her allegiance from her country to the only home that she knew. And it was an unimaginable risk to her life to do this. So why was there a change? I only have one answer for that. God. God's the one that worked in her heart. God prepared her with grace for the time at these men would come and speak with her. And do you know this is what God does with lost sinners that come to him in salvation? God first speaks to you. You don't do it on your own. You don't decide these things on your own. And when God opens up your eyes to the truth, when he makes you realize that he has provided a way that, that you can turn from your sins, when he opens up that understanding, that's when you want to do it. That's when you want to turn away from your past. That's when you want to get rid of it. It's when you repent of your sins, you place your faith in Christ, and you say, God, I don't want to be a part of this wicked society any longer. I don't want to live like this any longer. But I want to be identified with your people. Now that's the problem that Rahab had. She is a sinner. She's the lowest of the low in a very terrible society. Now next I want to show you what needs to be done. Secondly, is that we are to recognize God's power. Now let's look at verses 9 through 11 again. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt, Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Let's rewind the story 38 years. 38 years before this, Israel reached the border of Canaan. They were at Kadesh Barnea. Moses did the same thing that Joshua did in this text. He sent spies over into the land to find out what they were up against. Moses sent out 12 spies, though, and there were 12 spies that went, 12 came back, and there were 10 of them that came back with a message of doom and gloom. And the men said, it's impossible for us to take this land. There are giants that live in the land. There are 10 of them that said there are great walled cities that are there. There are places like Jericho. 10 of them said, these are people that are warlike people. These are people that have a military that's greater than ours. Those are people that have chariots of iron. We can't conquer that land. Ten of them said, we can't do it. If we try to go in there, we're going to be killed. But two of the spies said, it's not really a problem. We're well capable of taking this land. Let's don't wait. God's on our side. Let's go in and let's seize God's promise. And you know who those two spies were. Those were Joshua and Caleb. They had confidence in God. But the report of the others was too great. Their objections were too much. The fear was too much. And so... The people agreed with the ten and not with Joshua and Caleb. So the counsel of the ten was followed. And for punishment, because they didn't trust God, God said, you're going to have to wander in the wilderness for 38 more years. But we notice here what Rahab said. She said, we heard how that your God dried up the Red Sea. We heard about how you crossed on the dry land. We heard about how God brought all of those plagues upon the Egyptians. We heard how you destroyed two kings on the other side of the Jordan. Those those Amorite kings. And did you know this? That Jericho was also an Amorite city. We've heard what you've done to Amorites. Well, she heard. In fact, the whole city heard. And she said, because of that, our hearts melted. Isn't that strange that Israel would not go into Canaan because they were scared to death of Canaanites? And at the same time, the Canaanites were afraid of them. Rahab's faith turns out to be even greater than Israel's faith. Because she actually feared God's power and believed God's power more than they did. Now this is so important for you to get. Because for your life to change, you have to realize that God does actually have the power to change it. And I've heard, I've heard so many excuses. Some, some people think that what they've done is just too bad. Some people are ashamed of what they've done, how they've lived, and they can't believe that God would ever save them. But you see Rahab? You see what you see what her life was like? Her culture, the culture itself, the whole place is doomed. God's done with them. There's only one family here that God wanted to save. Now God specially is taking the worst and making their lives over, and God never lacks the power to change anyone, even the one that's worst among us. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul said that he was the worst sinner of all. And he really believed that. I mean, he, he said, I've killed Christians. I've persecuted them. I've taken, I've taken God's people to death. And he said, there's nobody worse than me. And yet, 
God changed him. In just an instant, Paul's life was turned around. Oh, there are many people, they're, they're afraid. Well, if I become a Christian, what will my family say? How, how am I going to deal with my family? Sometimes a family is just deep into Catholicism. Or they're, they're, they're Muslims and they think, what is, my, what is my family going to do if I turn away from the bondage of a self-righteous religion and I trust Jesus Christ alone to save me? My family's going to disown me. They're, they won't have anything to do with me. And so they become afraid. And what they would rather do is to wander in the wilderness of unbelief. And they reject God's grace because they're afraid of all the repercussions that are going to happen if they turn to Christ. No, if you want to be saved, you've got to trust God's power to get you through all of that. You know, I don't think that a, that a mother would want anything more than for her children to be in heaven. And oddly enough, did you know this, that it might mean that you have to go against mama's religion to get there. You might just have to turn your back on mama's religion because it's wrong. And you need to come to Jesus Christ in faith. Oh, Rahab was a really, really bad woman. But we read in Hebrews 11 that she was actually one of the greatest examples of faith we have in Scripture. By faith, it says, she hid the spies. Why? Because she trusted God's power to protect her. And God will do the same for you. Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper. I, I won't fear what man shall do unto me. So you can't be afraid of what your family and friends are going to say. You can't be afraid of what your wife is going to say, your husband's going to say. What you have to do is weigh that fear against God's protection, what, what God can do for you. Weigh your fear against that. And then also remember, what does God do to those who don't trust in Christ as Savior? So what must you do? Well, you have to recognize God's power to change you. Now, thirdly, you also have to reach out for God's provision. Now, maybe you have come to the place that you say, well, okay, preacher, I realize there is a problem. I am a sinner. I ever told a lie? Oh, yes. Yes, I've lied. Have, uh, have I ever thought any evil thoughts? Yes, all the time. Was there ever lust in my heart? Yes, I've got that too. Did, did, I, did I ever desire to have what others have? And I'm jealous of them. I'm envious of them. And you say, yes, that's, that's also my problem. Have you ever taken God's name as a curse word? Yeah, I've done that too. I blaspheme God. Now, you may understand all of that, and you might admit that, but you can't stop there. Not just with the admission of it. You have to reach out to God. You have to ask God for His mercy and the provision of His grace. Now, in the 12th and 13th verses of this text, now, therefore... Rahab says, Now therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that you will save, uh, you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. But what did Rahab know? She knew her death was coming. No matter how strong the walls of Jericho were, these men are going to go back to Joshua. And in just a few days, they'll return with a band of Israelites and they're going to descend on this city and they're going to destroy it all. They will devastate it. She believed that because the stories of Israel's God, those were legendary. From the day that Israel walked across the Red Sea, these people were terrified because they knew that one day God was going to show up at their door. 
They believed that. They, they knew that. Rahab knew it, and she didn't want to die. Her day had come. All these men are sent from Jehovah God, so there's no doubt in her mind. She says, will you save me? Now, I've got, I've got some bad news for you. The day of your death is coming. It's not a question of if you're going to die. It's just when are you going to die. Someday, God is going to show up at your door. And without Jesus Christ, you're doomed. There's no hope for you. Now, you might be just 15 years into your life. You, you might be uh, 38 years into your life. 38 years of wondering without God. You may be 60 years into your life. I know this, that the day of your death is coming. We don't know when. It's uncertain of the day, but we know that it is coming. Old and young alike die. It doesn't matter what you think about that. You know you're in that number. And do you know this, that no one, there is actually no one that doesn't have a sense that there's something after death. No, people that don't believe in life after death don't come by that naturally. Oh, you've you got to be educated. Educated wrongly, of course. You've got to be educated to believe that there's no life after death. And so people are always wondering this. What is life going to be like after death? What is it like after I die? Is it going to be worse? Is it going to be better? And I can tell you that if you refuse Christ, it's far worse than you can ever imagine. There isn't any hope outside of God's mercy and grace. Rahab knew that. She had one choice. I've got to do this. I've got to plead with these men to save me. Will you show, you, will you show me mercy? Will you save me? Now, there weren't any of the Canaanites that could save her. None of them are capable. Their religion's not capable. She could be no more be saved by their religion than you could be saved by any of the world's religion because there is only one Savior. There's only one way to be saved. There's, there's a broad way to destruction, the Bible says, and yet you hear this all the time. Oh, there are many paths to get to God. You just choose the one that you want to take and choose the God that you want to serve. It doesn't really matter. All paths are going to the same place. You're going to get there sooner or later. But the Bible says that all other paths are Canaanite religion. All of them are Canaanite religion. All other ways are ways of destruction. And Jesus is very narrow-minded about this. He doesn't tolerate any other ways. Oh, how many times are we accused of being narrow-minded when we say that salvation is exclusively in Jesus Christ? When we say that, we don't do anything other than repeat exactly what Jesus said. So, how did Rahab know the way? How did she know the way? Only God reveals that. Remember when we were talking last week about Peter's confession in Matthew 16, 16? When Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, you didn't find that out on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father revealed that to you. And remember we talked about the thief on the cross? How in the world did he change his mind when that other thief was hanging there and heard the very same things he heard, saw the very same things he saw? How did he believe, this one thief believed, that Jesus was truly a king that could take him into paradise when he died? How did he believe that? Well, there's no explanation except God reveals it. God, God showed him. So here, here, Rahab, Rahab believed because... God revealed himself to her. And do you know this? When God shows the way that he never refuses anyone who takes that way, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And that's what God says we have to do. That's what Rahab did. She said to the spies, save me, protect me, promise me, you'll show favor to me. So she asked to be saved. And God says that's what you need to do. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You must repent of your sins and trust Christ to save you. But let's look at another thing here just a minute. And that is that, that there are those who say that, well, that's the end of the matter. You, you just say you believe. That, that's fine. That, that's all that you really need to do. Now, for sure, we, we do believe that God's grace saves us. There is not a good thing that we could ever do that would save us. Nothing we do merits, you can't put merit and God's grace in the same sentence. You can't merit God's grace. That's impossible. But God's word says that real believers do good things. That real believers show evidence of faith. And the other word, in other words, real saving faith is a faith that shows that you've actually changed, that something's happened to you. So we notice what has to be next. Number four is respond with purpose. Oh, th- there are some that say, you know, years ago I gave my heart to Jesus. I trusted in Jesus, so I know that I'm saved. But you look back at your life and you see, well, there's not really any good evidence that anything ever happened to me. Many Christian mothers are convinced that their children are saved because years ago they walked the church aisle. Years ago they got baptized. Long ago when they were still in the home, they were made to go to church. But now that they've left the home, they never see them in church. They never act like they know who Jesus is. So let let me ask you, why would you believe that they're Christians if there is no evidence of that? What makes you believe that? Now, the Bible says that real faith will show evidence. Now, it's sad that preachers assure people all the time that because they said a prayer, because they asked Jesus to come in their heart, everything is fine. And they say that even when there's not a proof of a change. And so people are assured of this quick, easy salvation. doesn't really mean you have to ever be different than you were before. Salvation may not bring that, but that is not a comfort that God's Word affords anyone. Real faith is always demonstrated. Real real faith is always accompanied by clear evidence of change. We see it in the story. Rahab was changed. She asked to be saved, and it didn't stop there. Here in the story, it's evident. When the king of Jericho heard the spies had come to Rahab's house, he sent men to find them. But Rahab wouldn't give them up. And so at great risk, she, she hid those men on the roof and... She covered them up with stalks of flax. And no doubt in Rahab's business, she she often had to do that because women come looking for their husbands at the harlot's house. And who knows how many times she took people, people up on the roof and covered them up with stalks of flax because their wives were looking for them. Oh, she hid the spies. And then when the pursuers left, she let them down the side of the wall with a rope, with a scarlet thread. And that was their escape to safety. And that scarlet thread became a sign. The spies said, when we come to destroy the city, hang out that rope. Hang out the rope out of your window and you'll be saved. And that rope was the evidence of her faith. She didn't flee the city. She believed and she showed by faith. She risked her lives by saving theirs. Now you think about that for just a minute. Is the cord the thing that saved her? Well, no. 
What if she said, but what if she said, you know, cords don't save anybody. Cords cords have never saved anybody. I I don't really have to put out the rope. I don't think that I will. I think that what I'll do, I'll just sit here. I'll do what I've always done, and everything's going to be okay. And if she did, what would happen? She would die. Did the rope matter? Charles Spurgeon said, In the lives of Christians today, the scarlet thread represents those small details of commitment that sometimes we think are not important. Did the rope save her? Did the rope save you? No, no. But a person that never does is a person that's never been changed. If you claim that you're saved and you're just like you were yesterday, you aren't saved. If you can go on for years and never show any proof, you aren't saved. Now, do you see what I'm saying? Salvation is actually a commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you, if you don't obey and show proof in your life, that means, well, you've never been changed. There are scor- scarlet threads that you need to hang out. There, there's a thread of baptism. There's a thread of your church membership, of faithful attendance to your church, of living a devoted life, of being pure and holy. Those are scarlet cords that say that you have been identified with God's people. That really something did happen to you. And if those things are not there, then what reason is there to believe that you really are a Christian? What, what are you banking on? Where, where, what are you, where are you putting your proof? Now, the Holy Spirit is going to work in a person's heart and cause him to hang out those cords of obedience to Jesus Christ. So do you see what I'm saying? Salvation is a commitment. W.A. Criswell, who was pastor of First Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas... Well, he's dead now, but he preached for four hours on this subject, the scarlet thread that runs through the Bible. And he said that the scarlet thread is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that sermon, he preached that only Jesus can save you. And he said that when you are saved, that you will put out the scarlet thread that says that you have trusted in Jesus' blood. Rahab was saved in exactly the same way that you and I are saved. Our scarlet threads are commands of obedience that show that we have committed to the Savior. Now, do you see how salvation develops in this story? Realize the problem. You are a sinner that needs the saving grace of God. Recognize God's power to change you. He's the only one who can save you. Reach out for God's provision that salvation is waiting to be received through repentance and faith, and then respond with a purpose. Commit yourself and prove your faith by obeying Him and living a life of a changed person. And then lastly, number five, is rescue other people. There are others that are just like you. We don't want to miss this part of the story. A person that's changed wants to see others changed. Now, especially when their friends and family need to be saved, and they know that they can be, they can have eternal life, that's what they want. Now again, look at verses 12 and 13. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they have, and deliver our lives from death. Now I want you to go over to chapter 6, if you will. 
This is what happened on the day that Jericho was destroyed. Six days, for six days, the armies of Israel marched around the city. Every day they went around one time. Then on the seventh day, they went around seven times. Look at verses 16 and 17. And it came to pass, this is chapter 6, and it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpet, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only... Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Now you go down to verses 20 through 25. So the people shouted with the priest, blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua said unto the two men that spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel." And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab did not say to the spies, Be sure you save me. Be sure that you protect me. And I'll protect you. She said, I have a father. I have a mother. I have brothers and sisters. Save us all. Now, do you understand that that's another way of showing that you are actually a true believer in Jesus Christ? That you love the souls of other people? A real, a real believer is just serious about what happens with unbelief. A real believer has been given a vivid understanding of hell. Hell is a place of awful torment. A real believer knows that. A place of fire and brimstone. And a real believer wants to save his family from that awful place. Real believers know what they have been saved from. Do you understand? Salvation is being saved from God's wrath. God's punishment is perfect justice. And salvation has no context at all unless you consider sin and punishment. And when you understand that, there's no way that you can sit next to mom and not wonder, is she going to be saved from hell? Now, as much as you love mom and as sweet as she is, if she doesn't trust Christ, you won't see her in heaven. And that's what Rahab faced. She had a family that she knew would die in the destruction of Jericho. The wickedness was too great. God was fed up. How much did she understand about eternal punishment? I don't know. I don't know how much she understood. I I do know that she expected to receive the same benefits that Israel received if she believed. She knew the consequences if she didn't for her family. She knew what would happen if she doesn't change from the worship of idols to serve the living God. Because she said, for the Lord is God. Your, your, Your God is the Lord. He's God in heaven and earth beneath. How much did she understand? Well, she knew enough to understand that Israel's God saves from destruction. Isn't that right? Now, we understand this a lot better in our time. She had no Bible to read. There, there was no evidence she'd ever seen any of God's commandments. 
Now, we know Moses was dead and he had completed the Pentateuch by that time, but there's no proof that she'd ever read it. But it's different now. Now we have the completed Word of God. We have the Bible when Rahab's people in Rahab's time never had an opportunity to read it. And I'll tell you what that means to you. It makes you more responsible than the people that lived in Canaan. Do you understand that? As wicked as their culture was, they hadn't heard what you know. You know way more than they know. And you are far more responsible than the people that lived in Canaan. Oh, there's eternal punishment, the Bible teaches. And it can happen to our loved ones, it can happen to us. And that might be a real bummer for me to tell you that on Mother's Day. You may not want to hear about punishment in hell. Not for mom. But I've told you, this is not mom's story. This is about Jesus. It's about the subject of salvation. My subject today is that your whole family needs to be saved. That the best Mother's Day gift that can ever be given is to have a whole family assured that one day they're going to live in the glories of heaven. So Rahab said, save my mom, save my dad, save my brothers and sisters. And what is the point of the message? That it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. God saves the worst of sinners. And this world is headed for a time when God is going to give it all up to destruction. Did you know that? There is another time coming when God says the wickedness is going to be too great and I'm going to give it all up to eternal destruction. So God's not always going to give you an opportunity. God's not always going to be tolerant any more than he was in the days of Noah or in the days of Canaan. Now we read the story and we think, well, you know, surely there must have been some good people in Jericho. There, there, there had to be somebody that likes to help others. There had to be somebody that's worth saving. Somebody there must be a compassionate person. And so we would think that what, what Joshua would do is send spies into Jericho and tell them, now, you be sure and you go find all the good people. Because we don't want to destroy all the good people with all the bad people. There weren't any good people. There was nobody there worth saving. And the same is true of us today. There is none of us worth saving. All of us are bad, and God is just biding his time for complete destruction. But I do have good news, and that is we're not there yet. God still saves people. Here and there, God lifts some people out of their terrible depravity. He changes them, makes them completely new, and ready to receive the blessings of heaven. And I wonder, are you, are you in that group? Or are you treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath? Rahab received tremendous favor from God. The best that can be said of her, we find in Matthew chapter 1, and that is that she was in the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rahab's name is among the names of all the people that were rehabilitated when we talk about saved people, she's in the list of names of people that are rehabilitated, saved from certain death by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. She didn't deserve it. She didn't. And neither do any of us. We need rehab every bit as much as Rahab. God saved her and God can save you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we think about this great story that we've read and our attempts are feeble to try to explain it and just to see the greatness of your grace and what you do to save lost sinners. We're just thankful, Lord, that when we cry out 
to you that you hear and you will save that person who repents and puts their faith in you. Every person in here today can have the salvation that Rahab had. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to someone's heart. And for those that are Christians, maybe there's no one here lost today. May we just look back on this and may we just remember how awful that it was for us, how lost that we were, and then you saved us. And then at least we can take that last point and say, help me, Lord, to tell somebody else that they need to know how to be saved. Lord, use us, bless us, bless the word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bbaptist.org.